0: Today, the part of Bill Handel will be played by Bill Handel. I know you're probably expecting someone like Tom Hanks. Nope, just just Handle. And now, here's Bill Handel.
1: KFI AM uh, 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It is a cold, cold Thursday, February 16th. It was in the, what, low 40s uh, when I was driving in. It was in the 30s in a large part of Southern California. And uh, so we're in the middle of a cold snap. Welcome to uh, Southern California in the middle of winter. Uh, one of the things that I have been uh, talking about over the years is uh, the issue of homelessness and how we get people in the shelters and the money that's being spent and its uh, godly amount of money between uh, federal, state, county, uh, local You know, L.A. is $1.2 billion into this, and uh, you've got the county. I mean, it's just crazy. And I have often said, as of the uh, premise, we have to move all of these people out of homelessness, out of those tent encampments, out of living on the street, into shelters, temporary to uh, medium-time shelters into permanent housing. Okay. I've often said there's going to be a large group of people that aren't going to want to move because they're simply mentally ill. And uh, I told you the story about uh, my brother's ex-girlfriend that uh, I, I literally ran into in the parking lot. And she was living in a tent and had been for three years, actually on the street, not even in the tent. And uh, put her up. And she was in a very, we put her up in a very small uh, studio and she had friends that would come over and sleep on the floor and they left. They didn't want to be inside. They wanted to be outside because that's what they were used to. I mean, clearly mentally ill. uh, And that seems to be the problem. And I've often said there are huge numbers and I was just waiting for real surveys to come out. Rand Corporation came out with uh, last year, 54% of people on the streets are mentally ill. Uh, And uh, even uh, the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority uh, that uh, is looking at studies, they're saying a third of the people out on the street have severe mental issues. And therein lies the problem or a problem, a huge problem. And how do you deal with them? You got substance abuse. Already there's a big issue there. Certainly, you have medical issues with people on the street. They're harder to treat because they're just sicker. Respiratory illness, heart disease. I mean, all of it. I mean, living on the streets is just no fun. Can you imagine people living on the street now? You go to a homeless encampment. It's in the 30s. That gets pretty miserable pretty quickly. Add to that mental illness and a lot of it. So you have a three-way battle going on. You've got medical issues. You've got the very nature of homelessness where some people simply don't have the wherewithal. They've lost the job, don't have the skills. Uh, and, and when someone is uh, homeless, excuse me, coughing on this one, uh, when someone is homeless, what address do you give when you apply for a job? You know, how do you look presentable? What do you say for your work history? Uh, where 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 have you lived? while well, I've lived on the, that street corner over there for two years. You know, it just makes it so difficult. And then the issue is going out and treating the mentally ill. We don't have anywhere near the kind of money. Why is that? Uh, because it takes trained people. I didn't know this. This was a story out of the Daily News. That uh, working for the county of Los Angeles are street psychiatrists. I'm not talking about social workers. We're talking about psychiatrists, MDs, residency and psychiatry that go out and deal with the homeless. How many think there? there how many of those you think there are out there? Uh, almost none, and they desperately need it. It's just a different way of looking at it. We, we don't have the money. We don't have the mindset. In Europe, you don't see homeless people like this. In industrialized countries, you don't see homeless like this. And the reason is, it's just a different mindset. We think in terms of this is the land of opportunity and you should pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get a job and get going. Not really paying attention to some people don't have the wherewithal. They just can't do it. Do we owe them a duty? I guess in a society where you where we're a wealthy society, do we? But when the numbers are so great, where the money is so astronomical to deal with this, that in order to successfully deal with it, not only does it have to be at the on the front burner, it has to be the only burner. So, no surprise, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the studies just came out and it's as bad as we thought just received the news that raquel welch actually yesterday had uh, died uh, here in los angeles southern california um for um, she was 82 years old and really an extraordinary woman uh, strong-willed and it just wiped her out professionally uh, she took no guff from anybody she you know for example her breakout film 1966 1 million years bc i don't know if you ever saw that film She had the very bad luck to get into some really horrific films. Well, that was one. She had three lines. And she broke out as this international icon almost overnight. If you've ever seen pictures of her, it's an iconic poster. Her coming out of the ocean in this uh, bikini, uh, caveman bikini thing that, uh, I tell you, drop-dead gorgeous. And uh, she went on to a career of over 50 years, 30 films, 50 television series. And uh, she was a single mom, two kids, uh, came out of La Jolla. Uh, Beauty queen, started very early, uh, started uh, winning uh, beauty contests at the age of 14. And uh, she had a really complicated relationship with her persona. And her beauty got her into showbiz. Her beauty stopped her from being considered a serious actress, which she always wanted to do. And she was, you know, she had her head screwed on pretty straight. She understood that her beauty, which, I mean, extraordinary, was both a blessing and a curse. And uh, as uh, she said... Uh, she was rarely taken seriously because, um, you know, she was thought of as a sex pot. Now, she refused to do nude uh, scenes, as you can imagine, she was asked to. So she said, you know, here I am, just a sex pot. I've got a great body. Uh, I probably can't walk or chew gum at the same time. This was an interview in uh, 2012 with Men's Health. And also, she looks back and talks a little bit about history. It was at a time when women were considered largely ornamental. They were not taken very seriously in the 60s. I mean, if you, this was actually even before the women's movement really exploded. And she earned a reputation for being strong willed, taking guff from no one, being independent, and that killed her. In 1970, she actually took on the role of a transgender woman. Uh, In a film adaptation of uh, Gore Vidal's uh, satirical novel, uh, Myra Breckenridge, great novel, horrible film. It got panned, as it should, because in the end, the final script, you kidding? You're not going to have transgender women there. So she ended up hating the the finished project, and she became known, and listen to this, uh, and, and this one I do remember. She became known for her fight that she had on the set with Mae West, who was gonna wear the black dress. And that became a staple of Hollywood lore. So we move forward in 1982, she sues MGM. Uh, She's going to be in the film uh, Cannery Row. Uh, It was the John Steinbeck World War II novel. And she was replaced by Deborah Winger, who was younger, and certainly more affordable, and so she claimed the studio fired her because of her age and to save money. The studio, of course, said, oh, no, no, she showed up late for work and took too long in makeup, as it's that her fault, and uh, she ended up, uh, well, $14 million settlement. She argued not only was it a breach of contract, she successfully argued and was arguing that she was just about to win recognition as a serious actor or actress, actor. And six-year legal battle, 14 million bucks. But that is when her reputation exploded for being difficult, being independent, not really listening, which... I don't know how much of that is true because reputation, negative reputations fly really quickly around Hollywood. And at that point, her film career was effectively uh, over. Uh, Did you know that her dad was a Bolivian aeronautical engineer? She was born Joe Raquel Tejada. And he moved uh, his family to San Diego. She was born in Chicago, but he uh, moved the family to San Diego when she was just a little one to design aircrafts during World War II. He was an aircraft designer. And she was a star student. People think, oh, she wasn't very bright. She was just this uh, gorgeous head on top of a gorgeous body. No, pretty bright lady. Star student. And she started winning beauty uh, pageants when he was 14. And then in 1958, she won the title of Maid of California. What the hell? is The Maid of California. How's that for a title? That's like Miss Lemonade by the sun Kiss people. I have no idea how that works. Anyway, she goes to San Diego State University on a drama scholarship, and then drops out to take a job as a weather girl. They used to call them weather girls at that time. Weather people, weather person at a local TV station. Married, she had two kids and got divorced uh, very early on. And uh, she landed a role, one of her first role was in Fantastic Voyage, also 1966, Oscar-winning drama. Now, let me explain this, the Oscar, and I don't even know what the Oscar was for, but I'll tell you what it wasn't for. It wasn't best picture, it wasn't best actress, it wasn't best actor, it wasn't best direction, it wasn't best screenplay. I'm willing to guess it was uh, special effects. Because that turkey, like one uh, uh, one million years BC, also was a complete bomb. She got some very bad luck film-wise, but she became a pop culture icon and and did win a Golden Globe in 1973 for the movie Three Musketeers. She did some serious stuff. Uh, she starred on Broadway in the musical Woman of the Year 1981, a Golden Globe nomination for a TV show, Right to Die. Uh, just uh, a fascinating woman, 82 years old, and as I said, uh, ahead of her time. You know, it's uh, it was not a time uh, to be as strong as, uh, as she was. 1960s, 1970s. Today, obviously, a, a different uh, story. Uh, some of the stories we are carrying, as a matter of fact, uh, the... Uh, press conference for uh, the shooter in Michigan. Uh, Jennifer just came in and said, uh, here are the facts that have been released. uh, So can we do that in 30 seconds?
0: Absolutely. So uh, what they did is they found uh, two guns on the shooter, one that he used himself to kill himself with. Uh, They found additional magazines in his backpack, uh, they went to his house. They got a journal. They got his cell phone. They also found uh, spent shell casings in his backyard where apparently he had a lot of target practice. He did have other targets apparently on a note that was found on him. Uh, but they do believe that he acted alone and they think okay. they may have come up with a motive. Yeah. But they're and, double checking.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't even know why it's news because it's only one person that was killed. Actually, you should. Oh, three people. But actually you should start with, hey, here's some good news. Only three people were killed in a shooting. I mean, it's gotten that bad and we know that. All right, let's have some fun. Uh, Jennifer, you ever been to a medieval times? Yes, I love it. Tyler, you ever been to medieval times? I haven't been to a medieval times, but I've been to the Renaissance fair, so okay. they're similar. Not the no, not the same because the horses don't run over people at the Renaissance, Renaissance oh, fair. Okay, yeah. Medieval times is the knights in shining arbor, and uh, they actually joust. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, they really go at it. Yeah. And uh, there is a strike now uh, looming. As a matter of fact, they are on strike. The workers at Medieval Times are on strike and I'll explain that in a moment but I want to tell you about the political correctness of medieval times. It's been a lot of years since I've been but I don't know if the female servers are still called wenches. Which I guess not.
0: Uh, I don't remember them. I, I was there about 3 years ago.
1: Oh, I because it's been a long time since I've I been to them. I don't remember. Yeah, that. and then uh, when they joust, I mean, they really joust. Uh, yeah. Various teams, and they go onto this huge equestrian, like an open field. It's almost like a a, a pitch, you know, like a soccer seat field yeah. or a football field. And the horses go up and down. And they go at each other uh, with the different colors, and the whole thing is completely contrived. By the way, it's all rehearsed. It's like uh, it's like wrestling, except it's even more rehearsed, and people fall off. And uh, but it's still very dangerous. Because you're falling off horses. You're getting banged up by these big poles, which are not foam rubber. So uh, they've gone on strike in uh, Buena Park out there in Orange County. And it's right off the freeway. Which freeway is it off of? Uh, is it off of five? I don't think so. Uh, anyway, uh, you go down there and this it's a castle looking thing. Did you know there are 11 of them?
0: I I didn't Around the know country. that there were that many. Yeah. I knew there was oh, more than excuse one. Excuse
1: me, there were 10 of them. Uh, nine in the US and one in uh, Canada.
0: No, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: and of course uh, Canada has um uh, you know the exchange difference uh the the are the polls in the American are about uh 10 percent larger because of the <laughs> trade uh, difference. Okay, in any case. So uh they're they're striking because uh They don't get enough money. Boy, do they not get enough money. By the way, the Buena Park store or center is uh, the busiest in the country. So just to let you know the kind of money they get, it's just gone union. So the non-union castles were given raises about 20%. The union castles, like that one that just became unionized, the company proposed a 2% raise for our speaking uh, cast. No raise for the trumpeters. Two percent for stable hands. Two to eight percent for the knights that get thrown off the horses. And in, uh, you, for example, the same union, uh, Agava performers at Disneyland, uh, who do the same thing, get thirty-three bucks an hour. Uh, here they get eighteen fifty an hour, and they work eight-hour days. Over there, uh, they work uh, what fifteen minutes for three, four hours at Disneyland. And no trumpet player extra money. It's a union, and they're offering $16 an hour for a trumpet player, which I would argue is a skill. It's a marketable skill. Now, if those trumpet players were in the musician's union, they would laugh at $33 an hour, they would laugh at. So the strike is going off and one of the employees, the guy who's been there the longest, um, Graham Wojcik, he says uh, it's eighteen fifty an hour to jump off a moving horse that goes 20 to 30 miles an hour. And uh, this is what I get for it. Well, first of all, what I would do is go just two doors down and work at the Taco Bell and get $18.50 an hour for slinging meat into a taco, or at least they call it meat, for putting uh, the beef into a taco as opposed to getting on a horse and being thrown out. But this is a story of uh, unionizing when the companies don't want you to unionize and they use their power. Amazon with the uh, unionizing the uh, fulfillment house. Where I think it was New York, where an Amazon fulfillment center, a warehouse was unionized. And what Amazon did to fight it was crazy. So, uh, right now, they're on strike. And uh, you're not, if you go down there and you want a wench, which I guess they don't call them anymore, to serve you food while you're watching this thing, ain't going to happen. Uh, and the, you don't have plate. Uh, you don't have uh, you have plates, but you don't have any cutlery. No forks and knives. You eat. You tear the food out with your teeth. And the big turkey legs are ah yeah. It's really a tremendous amount of fun. And uh, those people get paid nothing. The horses get paid more. Now, as I pitched uh, this story, as I teased this story about uh, preventing birds from hitting your windows and dying. Uh, Tyler said, uh, once you watch the video of Randy Johnson uh, pitching uh, in an exhibition game, throwing his 100 mile an hour fastball and uh, a bird flies into uh, his uh, right into the, uh, the path of uh, the fastball and the bird exploded, literally exploded. It was like a, there was a bomb inside the bird and boom, off it went. So I'm assuming the bird didn't survive that. And that's a lead into uh, the story about uh, preventing bird strikes. Now, there are plenty of people out there, I don't know any, who uh, don't want birds to go smashing into windows uh, because they tend not to do very well. Uh, sometimes... Um, Uh, They fly off or they walk off and uh, they uh, will be, die of their injuries or some cat eats them or, I mean, it is rough. And it happens a lot. I mean, millions of times. Uh, Birds don't have great eyesight or if they do, sort of windows, uh, they kind of miss. So here you hear that thump on the window, boom, and down goes the bird. So there are a lot of bird lovers out there, and so let's figure out a way uh, to keep birds away. Warning the birds: How about those stickers on the windows, All right decals or film applied to the windows, uh, or how about hanging out on the ledge just on the other side? Uh, a uh, a stuffed hawk, for example, some kind of predator that the birds will see, and, oh, owls, the birds will see and get the hell out of there. All right? So uh, people are buy decals put them on the windows, Uh, they want to do good, obviously. Uh, They want to do right by birds. And as always, uh, there is a study that has just been done. I always refer to studies. And this was done uh, by John Swaddle, a professor of uh, biology, at the College of William and Mary, and it was just published uh, actually this morning, early this morning, uh, our time, in uh, the research journal uh, Peer J. Never heard of it, but then again, who hears of these research uh, these uh, research journals? And he said, and the studies show that if you put a decal uh, the uh, uh, inside your window, right so the bird can see it, because if you're in an office building, you're not gonna go outside. And people don't put the decals outside their windows, they put them inside their windows. Why? Because the window's clear, that's why. And if a bird's gonna see a decal, does it matter if it's inside or outside? It matters. Birds ignore the inside decals. They don't see them. And as far as uh, those stuffed predators, you know, the little gnomes with wings or whatever the hell they do, uh, you ever heard a bird actually laugh? The birds laugh at those. Don't pay attention. What at all? Now, does it work? Can you make it so the birds actually pay attention? Yeah, you can. However, here are the rules because uh, there this study and they looked at what worked, what didn't work, and. The assumption was, Dr. Swaddle, going into the study, thought there would be at least some benefit in those decals on the inside and those predator birds-like things on the outside. Some benefit. Zero. Nada. Goose egg. Niet. They did absolutely nothing. And I mean, you would figure it would increase 5%, maybe, help. Not 5%, not 4%, not 1%. Didn't do a damn thing. And they studied a lot of birds smashing into a lot of windows. Can you imagine? Your job is to go around and count the dead birds at the bottom of windowsills. I mean, that's a hell of a job, isn't it? I would unionize that job. The National Association of Dead Bird Counters, Dead Bird at Window Counters, I certainly would. And is there a registry? Uh, So if a bird
0: hits your window, you have to register said dead bird?
1: I would think so. I would uh, think so. So Dr. Swaddle said no benefit to any of that and went on to say that what you're really doing when you put those decals up is a little bit of interior decorating. And that's it. So bird lovers fall into uh, ineffective approaches and one of them is uh, the bird of prey silhouettes, even on the outside, uh, and the other one are those uh, stickers. Ne- neither one work. The American Bird Conservancy uh, reviewed about 200 window materials and treatments for bird safety, and also uh, types of glass that are used. You know, Does that help? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. So, uh, the director of the Glass Collisions Program at the Conservancy, there is the Glass Collisions Program at uh, the Bird Conservancy. This is getting better and better. And uh, it is not only you have to put the decals outside the window, but you have to space the lines in the decal. The uh, width of the lines or the dots, whatever you're using has to be very specific and that is really critical. Now, are there things that actually do work outside of uh, those decals that don't work, outside of uh, those uh, birds of prey, or earsot stuffed, uh, whatever the hell those are sitting outside? Uh, yeah, there are things that actually do help. Turning off lights is uh, a good idea because you'd think that birds are blind Uh, You think that birds uh, would uh, uh, not fly around at night, even though the vast majority of birds do fly uh, during the day. uh, But they're attracted to light like moths. So there you go. You have a
0: light on. Splat! Bird at window. If you have a bird in your house, turn the lights off. If it's at night and turn your outdoor porch light on, it will fly to your porch light
1: out of your house. See, there you are. Good for you. Thank you. All right. So, law uh, light straw and distor- disorient birds. Use motion detectors outside. Hmm. High rises are mostly to blame, right? That's where they fly in. Not true. Not true. Actually, single uh, family dwellings, one two story buildings, are the ones that most birds fly into. I've had two in my house two in birds?
0: the past three months.
1: Wow. Two birds. Okay. And I was just talking to Tyler. And, uh, you know, it's not I, – I don't want to say it's entertaining to see birds you know, flying around and hitting windows. It's really not. However, I have said in a – let's say uh, a moment when I was running a temperature. If you go to Las Vegas and you're on the freeway going up the 5, and there is that huge solar farm, this immense solar farm that has all these – uh, these uh, solar panels that are aimed at this building, this huge high-rise building that at the top has this mirror that then produces power. It produces enormous amount of uh, actually electricity that goes down, spinning the turbines, etc. Birds flying through that will vaporize. At least there is no pain. It's like uh, uh, Randy Johnson with his fastball hitting the bird, except you don't even see the feathers. It's it's David Copper, uh, Copperfield. Now you see it. Now you don't. Coming up, Jason Middleton, and we're going to talk some business news. KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the
0: iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.